Um, before we start today's sermon, I want to put in a little plug. Um, next week we start a new sermon series, and um, it's entitled, It Came From Within. Uh, what it's about, if you've ever felt like you are the Hulk, in the sense of something comes out of you and you become this green monster that you don't know where it came from, things like anger, greed, those kinds of things, not that it would ever happen to you, but your spouse or somebody else in the pew beside you, we're going to talk about those for five weeks, five different attitudes that it's like, where did that come from? And we're even ashamed when it's all over, but where did that come from? And so we're going to look at that for the next five weeks. I think it'll be helpful, um, honest, maybe a little painful, but sometimes pain is what we need to be helped. So I hope you'll come back for that um, and pray for me as I'm preparing those. Uh, speaking of pain, if there was bad news, would you want to know it? Some of you have been in that situation. The rest of us have thought about it. If you were dying of some disease, would you want to know? As I thought about that this week, I thought, well, a big part of my answer would be, it depends if it could be cured. If it couldn't be cured, maybe we'd say, I just soon not know. But I think all of us would say, well, if it could be cured, you bet I'd want to know. Because I want to immediately go and do whatever's needed to be done to cure it. Well, we started last week looking at some bad news. Uh-oh. We're all messed up. Well, we're messed up. That's the point that I want to make. Um, <clears throat> the truth is we do all have a terminal disease. Uh, we all do. It's called sin. Every one of us is a sinner. And I understand I play the same games you do. We all say, well, but I'm not as bad as. And we can always find somebody worse. So that we sort of feel good about ourselves. But the reality is none of us is sinless. We've all blown it. We've all made poor choices. We've all had times when we've ignored God or just directly said, God, I'm not doing what you want me to do. We've all been there. We've all done that. And the result is what we drew, and that is this alienation it creates between us and God. Because God is sinless, He is totally good, totally holy, He can't have anything to do with sin. I, I used the issue of an, an allergy last week to explain that God just can't be around it. And it's not just that He doesn't like it, He just can't be around it. But that's a big problem if you and I are sinners. That means the God of the universe who's in control of history and eternity says, I can't be around you. Me. And that creates this chasm that separates us from God. And that is bad news, not just for today, but for eternity. And there's even worse news, and that is that we can't cure this ourselves. We can't fix it. We can't do enough good works to build a bridge across that chasm. We can't do enough good things to pay for our sin because our sin has already cost us our very life. We have nothing more to give. And our own life's not enough. There is no known cure on earth for sin. And there isn't going to be one discovered next year. 
But as we saw last week, there is also good news. And that good news is, first of all, that God still loves us. Even though we are that sinner, even though we are contaminated to a point where God says, I'm sorry, I can't be around you, he still loves us. And he wants to be around us and have us around him. Our sin has not disqualified us from God's love. That's why Jesus tells the beautiful story in Luke 15, I hope you're familiar with it, of the prodigal son. And while we call that parable the the prodigal son, in many ways that parable should be entitled the waiting father. Because what that parable is really all about is the point Jesus is trying to make, and that is whatever we've done, however much we've walked away from him, however much we have trashed the inheritance God has given us, he waits for us to come home to him. God is that waiting father. And that's the good news that God loves us that much. And so God himself said, how do I fix this? I can't handle my children being separated from me. What can I do? And so, of course, we know he asked Jesus to die for us. I'd like to read a few verses out of Romans 5, starting with verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, we can't fix this, we can't cure it, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, God proves beyond a shadow of the doubt, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but because God loves us that much. And so Christ's death on the cross became this bridge for us that we can be saved. That our sin can be washed away. That we can cross over and be in God's presence and we're no longer unacceptable there even though we were those sinners we can now be in the presence of this holy God and he's delighted to have us there we can be saved Jerry referenced that promise in his communion meditation we always read it at Christmas but I want you to hear it again today Isaiah 53 He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was placed on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's why that picture had to be so dark. There was so much sin. And Christ said, I will take that. Willingly. God said, I think this is what we need to do. And Jesus says, I'll do it. And he went to that cross and became 
our hope, our salvation. But there is one last step, and we didn't get to that last week. I told you we need to talk about that today because the issue is what do we do about that? Jesus has done that. He has died. The cross is bridging that chasm. But the obvious thing is we've got to go across the bridge. It's sort of like getting this beautiful present at Christmas and it's all wrapped up under the tree. But you know what? You can't enjoy it until you unwrap the present. And Jesus has bridged that chasm of sin for every one of us. His death was enough for your sin and my sin and everybody's sin in this room. But it is up to us to walk across that bridge. We have to accept the reality of this story. The reality that there is a God and He created all this and He is the one in charge. I'm not. And that what I do in life does matter because of this God who exists and one day will hold us all for consequences for our lives. And if that is all true, then I need to do something about that. It's not okay to just stay over here and do what I want to do. It may be okay for today, but what happens when I die? When I have to try and get across that chasm, and you have to get across that chasm, if Jesus isn't your Savior, you can't make it across on your own. And that's why we have to accept that. Make that decision. How do we do that? What's that look like? What is our part of all of this? I want to quickly lay that out for you, and that finishes the good news that I said we were going to do these two weeks, of laying out how do we easily explain the good news. And I want to use something that is very old. As far as I know, it was developed in the 1800s when something called the Great Awakening was sweeping the frontier of the United States. And there were revivals all up and down the frontier. And some of the revivalists came up with this simple illustration of what do you do to become a Christian, to accept this offer of God, to cross that bridge. It just uses a hand. Because everybody's got one. <laughs> and you can just remember it. But before I go through those fingers, I want you to re read two verses with me because this hand is just an illustration of these scriptures. One of the scriptures is in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved. You can go across. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Your sin account is settled. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you're saved. Your faith in Christ. So remember that verse and the points that are made in there by Paul. And then Acts 2.38. The day of Pentecost when Peter preaches the first gospel sermon. And, and the whole crowd in Jerusalem says, you're right, what do we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now if you take those verses, and there's lots of other verses in the New Testament, those two capture all the points. 
and we go back to our hand, the first thing that we have to do is we have to believe and the thumb is the biggest on purpose. And if at least you start on this end, it's the first. And, and the believe is more than just accepting some facts. I, I can say, I believe there was a George Washington. Well, no big deal. This is bigger than that. This is saying, I believe. I believe that there is a God. I believe that I am accountable for my life. I believe that I can't earn my salvation. I can't be good enough to get a ticket into heaven. I believe I need somebody to save me. And I believe that that is Jesus Christ. And that on the cross, he died for my sins so he can be my savior. I believe that. I believe he's alive today. And I want him. I want him to save me. I believe that. You see, belief has to include all that, because if that's not there, if it's just, yeah, there was a George Washington, I'm not going to do the rest. But if I do believe that, and it's down in the core of who I am, I can't just sit in the pew anymore. i got to do something about it, because I believe. And that's how I start going across that bridge. The next thing I do is repent. And that's a Bible word that we don't use a lot. I doubt at work this week you talked about anybody about repenting. So we need to define it. But all it means is a great word. It means I start doing some U-turns in my life. I start making some changes because I believe and I'm now following that man named Jesus. And the more I learn about him, I realize, gosh, I've got to make some changes in my life. There's some things I need to start doing, and there's some other things I need to quit doing. Because I do believe in him. He's smarter than me. He's better than me. He is gooder than me. My teacher wife would get me for that. <laughs> and I better start listening. And that means I need to start making some changes. And not just because I got to but because he really is smarter and life's going to work better if I start doing it his way. I don't have all the answers. My ideas aren't always the smartest. I need to start listening. And that means I need to start doing things differently. I repent. And the third thing we do, and Paul talked about in Romans, we confess. And this isn't the Catholic confession. This is the New Testament confession that says, I'm willing to take a public stand and say, I believe. I know some of you may think I'm crazy. I believe. And sometimes in history it says, you may kill me, but I believe. We don't live like that right now. But we're still called upon to be willing to take a public stand and say, whatever anybody else thinks about me, I believe in Jesus. I'm willing to put the label on that says Christian. And I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. Because of what Jesus did for me and what he's doing in my life now, I am willing to publicly stand without reservation and say, I'm one, I believe in Jesus. That's why we ask people to come forward and confess their faith. It's one little way we confess Christ. But we do it at work. 
We do it with a circle of friends. Maybe we do it with some relatives where we're willing to say, you know what, I'm one of those. Yeah, I went to church on Sunday and I'm not hiding it. Yeah, I read my Bible. I believe in Jesus. And I'm willing to let people know. The fourth thing we do is baptism. Peter talked about it. It's throughout the New Testament. It's something we do. Because we believe, and because we want Christ as our Lord, we undergo this rite of baptism, this symbolic action. And I realize in Minnesota, that's just such an interesting thing to talk about. Because sitting in a crowd in Minnesota, you got, at least it used to be, 80% Catholic and Lutheran. Which means 80% of the population says, you do what? Because immersion baptism is unusual in our state. But it is what was going on in the New Testament. Every scholar, Catholic, Lutheran, etc. will tell you that's what was happening in the New Testament. It's what John the Baptist was doing. Orthodox Jews today still immerse if you're Gentile and you become Jewish. Because that's what baptism was. I'm saddened that it's become a point of argument and controversy. Because I think God intended as a beautiful, simple symbol. If you think about what happens here, it is a symbol of what spiritually happens. One, somebody gets put under the water. They get buried. Because when we become a Christian, we're willing to say we die. We give our life to Christ. We die. He's now in charge. We're also washed from head to toe. Because the blood of Christ is going to wash away our sin. But nobody's ever been left under there. There's nobody in there now. Because we also are raised to new life. And that very physical act we never forget. That day my sins were washed away. That day I gave God control and I said, bury me. I want to die that Christ may live in me. I want to die so I can live forever. And so we say, bury me. And we realize that we come out of that water offered a new life that lasts forever because of what Christ did. Which just brings us to the final finger. And that is the promise that Peter gives again and again throughout the book of Acts. And that is if we cross over that bridge and we accept Christ as our Savior and we do all of these things The first four are what we do, but this is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And He says, if you will do all that for me, guess what? Move over because I'm coming to live in you. I'm going to take up residence in you through my Spirit so that I will always be there for you. You will never be without me. And it's not just that I'm going to be there with you, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you divine power. I'm going to give you divine guidance and leadership. I'm going to give you wisdom even as you read your Bible. So you'll know the truth. And the truth can make you free. I'm coming to live with you. Because I want to help you. And I love you. And I've always wanted a relationship with you. And now that we've removed your sin problem, I can come live with you. And we can be that close. Our task in all that is just waking up to the fact that God's living in us. 
And we start, for me, shutting up and listening. We don't run off on our own as quick and say, God, I hear you're in here. What do you think? What should I do? Is this true, God? And we find out the Spirit really is in there. And He starts helping us. And we realize we're not alone. I realized as we sang several songs to start the service today, they were testimony songs. They were the songs of Christians saying, I have found a better life here with Christ. And all those songs that we sang flowed out of that. And I realized, you know, if you're sitting here today and you're not sure about all this, please hear that there were a couple hundred people around you saying, it's true, God is this way, it's real. If you ever wonder, it's not just theory, it's not just in a book, it's not just what a preacher says. I live in your neighborhood, I'm just like you, I go to work like you, and I'm telling you it works, it's true. And that's what we sang. It is true. It's available to any of us if we will cross over. And if you have still hesitated about this, I would love to talk with you. But if you don't want to do that, there's a couple brochures and I put extra copies on the information desk. How does one become a Christian? And it's what I've been talking about with more scriptures and more explanation. Why baptism? Why me? They're just there to help you. God has gone to so much effort. And he says, I don't want you to not cross over. I've done this for you because I love you. Please come home to me. God is that waiting father for you. And please know, as we've talked about, this is a life change. This is not just a one-time decision. It is saying, I want to start following this Jesus. And I'm serious about it. Because that's where the great things start happening. Now we're living as a follower of Jesus. And we're listening. And we're making some changes. And we're following him. And we start finding out this is really a better life. He didn't know what he was talking about. His instructions do work. And my life is better. And how I see myself is better. And my marriage is better. And my relationships at work are better. And, and that's what we're going to talk about in the next five weeks. These things that come out of us. And we say, where did that come from? The answer you're going to find is some truth from Jesus. Here's how you fix that. Here's how we deal with that. It really does work. James says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's what we do. It's a way of living that Christ invites us to. But there's one more thing i got to talk about. Because I realize that most of us in this room have crossed over that bridge. We believe that. Not all of us, I understand, but most of us in this room. And so we might sit there and say, wow, this is awesome. But I don't want to let you off the hook either. I don't want to let myself, I can't. I want to, I can't. Because this drawing is incomplete. We need to add one more chasm. 
Where would you draw the church on this? Where are we Christians? I think a lot of us would say, we're over there with God. Isn't that where we want to be? That's where I want to be. We all want to be. But you know what? That's what happens in heaven. Right now, he says, I, I, I can't have you over here with me. Because there's another chasm. And that is the reality of our culture today and that most people are not going to darken a church door. The bridge is there. But do you know a lot of your neighbors, a lot of your co-workers will never understand that bridge is there because they're not going to walk in the church anymore. They aren't considering church as a solution for their life. Church is not respected anymore and that's a whole other discussion of why that is. But they're not flooding in here. There's another chasm that separates them from ever hearing about Jesus. Ever hearing about what God has done. And you've got a lot of people around you in your network that are in that exact spot. And that's when God says, I need you Christians. I need you to be another bridge. That's why I can't have you come over here with me yet. I need you to help other people hear about that bridge. I need you to help other people know what I've done for them. Know what Jesus has already done for them. If you don't, they won't hear. And somewhere we need to hear that. That we need to be one of those witnesses that is willing to say, you know what? I faced that too. Can I tell you what God did? Or we can say, you know what? I know you think you're not worth anything, but let me tell you how much you're worth. Can I tell you what the God of the universe did for you? And we tell them about Jesus and that bridge. That's what God needs us to do. What does Jesus say as he's ready to go back to heaven? I need you to be my witnesses. To tell others what you've seen and heard so they can know. And I need you to do it here in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Because every one of those people living on your planet, I love. And I've died for them. And I want them to know what I've done for them. And I need you to let them know. We're that bridge that they might find out what God has done for them. So whoever you are today and wherever you are on that drawing, I think there's a challenge for all of us. I cannot be any more clear and true in reality as I know it and Scripture says it. And that story is good news. But if you haven't crossed that bridge, please do. For your sake and for God's love for you. And if you have crossed that bridge, God wants to shake your hand and say, no, i got one more thing for you to do. I need you to go back across and help others find their way across the bridge too. There's an old phrase. It's not original with me. It's one beggar finding, telling another beggar how to find bread. And that's what God has us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this good news.
and your love for us and what you've done for us. And how in many ways, though it is life-changing, how simple it is to cross over and believe in Jesus. And if there's anyone here who's been hesitating about that, I pray that you can open their heart today. And for the rest of us who have crossed over, Father, may we hear your directions to us. That we would go back across that bridge and help others find their way. Because of how much you love them. And what Jesus has already done for them, not just for us. And may we come to love them like you do. I pray this in Jesus' name.